Well, here we are at the start of a new year, 2018. The Christmas festivities are over, the New Year celebrations are done, the last firework has gone off, and here we embark on another year, another trip around the sun, and all that that entails. But as we reflect upon the year to come, indeed, as we reflect on the year that has just passed, I wonder if we ever feel like that it's hard to make sense of life? Do we ever feel like it just all seems a little bit pointless? A little bit futile, even? Meaningless, you may say. That as we reflect on our lives, as we see everything on this earth, sometimes we can left with a feeling of futility. A feeling of thinking, is this really all that there is? Sometimes we struggle to find meaning in life amidst the suffering, the injustice, the poverty, the oppression that we see around us. Sometimes life can just feel hard. Is that how you're feeling this morning? Well, if you are, you're in good company. Because this is the same feelings, the same attitudes, these are the same struggles that we find in God's Word. So why don't you grab your Bible and turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. Book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to go to the end of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and you'll find that on page 679. Page 679, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Again, if you need a Bible, just put your hand in the air. One of the stewards will happily come and give you a Bible. You see, Ecclesiastes forms part of the wisdom literature found in the Bible. And in this book, we have two voices. First, we have the voice of the teacher, whose words form the main bulk of the book. They go from chapter 1 right through to about halfway through chapter 12. And the teacher takes us on a journey as he struggles to discover if life under the sun is meaningful. Is it possible to make sense of this life? The second voice is the voice of the author who has collected together these sayings, these teachings of the teacher and he's written them down for us in the book of Ecclesiastes. He introduces the teacher at the start of the book and he also concludes the book uh, at the end of chapter 12. Now this morning we are going to be doing a sort of helicopter tour of Ecclesiastes. We're kind of going to be hovering over the surface looking at all the high points but it's towards the end of the book that I want us to focus on the most, okay? So turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 8. Now this part is the conclusion, the author's conclusion of the entire book of Ecclesiastes, and it's arguably the most important part of the book. Because without this part of the book, it is very hard to understand the meaning of Ecclesiastes, and indeed, even life itself. So let's read together God's word from Ecclesiastes chapter 12, from verse 8. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. 
The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like golds. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. Amen. This is God's words. <laughs> meaningless, meaningless, says a teacher. Everything is meaningless. And a happy new year to you too. It is quite a bleak statement, isn't it? It's rather depressing. It's some sort of hopeless conclusion about life and that all there is. Meaningless. Yet, if you think about it, this is perhaps the logical conclusion that you will arrive to if you assess life and all that is under the sun through experience and reason alone. Let me explain what I mean by that and what I believe God's word is teaching us through the book of Ecclesiastes. Okay, so in verse 9, we see that the author tells us this teacher is wise, he teaches knowledge, he has weighed and studied and carefully arranged many proverbs, he has written words of truth even. In other words, this is a guy who is worth listening to. And he is someone who has explored every aspect of life to find its meaning. Keep your finger in chapter 12 and turn with me to chapter 1, okay? Ecclesiastes chapter 1. You'll find it on page 670. Because in chapter 1, we discover or we learn what the teacher set out to do. Come to chapter 1, verse 13. The teacher says this, I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. And the question that the teacher wants to answer, we find in verse 3. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? In other words, the teacher is saying, I'm going to explore every aspect of life, leaving no stone unturned to discover what can be gained from life under the sun. What's the point? What's its purpose? And it's important to note that the teacher is exploring life under the sun. We see that in verse 3, or under the heavens in verse 13. And this is an important phrase that occurs 27 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And it refers to everything that can be seen, that can be observed, what can be felt, what can be measured, what can be experienced. That's not to say that the teacher is denying that there is a God. He's not an atheist. He acknowledges that there is a God, but in his study... He does not consider the possibility of any supernatural intervention. His search is purely focused on the seen rather than the unseen. It's all about life here and now, life under the sun. That's what I meant by under the heavens and under the sun. And he explores all the pleasures that this world has to offer. He looks all at work, he looks at time, he looks at death, he looks at marriage. And at the end of his extensive study of life under the sun, 
The teacher concludes in verse chapter 1, verse 14. I have seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the winds. Now, this word meaningless, is again, is a very important word in Ecclesiastes. It occurs up to 36 times, and it literally means vapor or breath. The idea here is that you breathe it out, and then it's gone. Okay, everyone breathe out now. Did you see where it went? Hopefully not, hopefully it's not too cold in here. <laughs> I certainly saw my breath in my car when I got in this morning, but it's breathe out and it's just gone, isn't it? It's temporary, it's fleeting, it's, it's like chasing after the wind, the, the teacher says. Have you ever tried to hold on to the wind? <laughs> We've had a, really, a lot of storms recently, been very, very windy, blowy. Did everyone try to grab the wind and bottle it? No, because it's a bit pointless, isn't it? You sort of reach out, grab the wind, open your hand, and it's all gone, isn't it? This is what the teacher means by Ecclesiastes. When you open your hand, when you try to grab life, and when you open your hand, it's just not there. It's a mere shadow with no reality. It's meaningless. It's a very nihilistic viewpoint, if you like. It is temporary, fleeting, hard to make sense of, to understand. Is there really any point at all? Is there really any meaning? Well, you may argue this is not so much a, half, a glass half full empty, not even a glass half empty kind of view, but the glass isn't got anything in it at all. So is the teacher right when he says that everything under the sun is completely meaningless? Is this what God's word is telling us? Well, let's look at what he explores. He looks at pleasures of the world. He denies nothing of himself, what his eyes or heart desires. There's great laughter. He has great building projects. He has status. He has wealth. He denies himself absolutely nothing. And yet he still comes to the same conclusion. Meaningless. The teacher looks at work. He acknowledges that work is a good thing. But at the end of the day, what do you really gain from it? I mean, think about it. You work hard all your life. And then by the time you've amassed enough sort of wealth, if you like, of money to enjoy it, you're old and you can't really enjoy it as much as you could do in your youth. Or you work very hard at building a business or an empire even. But at the end of the day, there's going to come a point when you're going to have to hand that on to someone else. Someone who hasn't worked for it, someone who might not even care about it. That is what the teacher teaches us in Ecclesiastes. Work is meaningless. He then turns to time itself and says it doesn't matter what you achieve in this life because one day it will all be forgotten. Uh, come to chapter 1, verse 11. It says this. No one remembers the former generations and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. <laughs> time is going to raise the memory of us. That's what God's Word tells us. Think about it. Can you name your great-grandfather? Maybe. What about your great-great-grandfather? Can you name him? What about his father? Can you tell me what work he did? Can you tell me what his desires were? What was his passions? What did he enjoy doing? Can you remember what he looks like? The stark reality of life under the sun 
is that we are one day going to be forgotten. That's what God's word tells us. Time removes permanence. No matter who we are in the life, no matter what we achieve. What about wisdom? Well, that's certainly to be preferred over folly and foolishness, but what do the wise gain over the foolish? After all, they die and are forgotten. Even suffering, the teacher says, is meaningless. He says this, I saw the tears of the oppressed. They have no comforter. Power was on the side of the oppressors, and they have no comforter. This is bleak. Teachers say, I look around the world and I see those who are oppressed and suffering and there's no one to comfort them because all the power is on the side of the oppressors. Can we relate to this? Can we identify with what the teacher is saying here in Ecclesiastes? He then moves on to the lack of control we have in our life. That life just appears a bit random. Things never go the way we expect it to go or want it to go. He says in chapter 9, I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift. That means the quick don't always win. Or the battle to the strong. Nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned, but time and chance happens to them all. They can't control things. Life just happens. It doesn't matter if you're wise, foolish, rich, or poor. You can't control it. You're going to be forgotten. And ultimately, you're going to die. Throughout all of Ecclesiastes lurks this great big enemy, this great big leveler, death. It doesn't matter if you work or not, if you're rich or poor, wise or foolish, oppressed or free, death comes to us all. It is an inescapable fact of our human existence that we are going to die. Come with me to chapter 12, verse 6. Chapter 12, verse 6. Remember him, that is God. Before the silver cord is severed, the golden bowl is broken. Before the pitcher shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the, wheel, at the well. And the dust returns to the ground it came from. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. Death happens to us all. And if you look particularly at verse 7, we start to get an idea of why death happens to us all. Verse 7, read that again. The dust returns to the ground it came from. Does that ring a bell? We read something very similar, or Susie read for us in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, that says this. This was a curse that God pronounced upon Adam, upon mankind, because of sin. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. The reason that life is hard, the reason that we cannot control life, the reason that we will face death and one day be forgotten, is because of our rebellion against God. You read of it in Genesis 3, because of sin. It is rejecting God and his word. And because of that, death has entered the world. And because of death, 
that now stands as a mockery, the end of life, mocking all that we hope to achieve in this life because one day we are going to be forgotten and we are going to return to dust. That is the teaching of the teacher in Ecclesiastes. That we live in our oppressed, broken world because of sin. That's why it's so hard, seemingly pointless. Because every part of the world has been affected by sin. A world that is under curse, a world that is under punishment of death. And no matter who we are, wise or foolish, all are forgotten. Nothing remains because of death. It renders every attempt to gain meaning completely and utterly useless. Can you feel the weight of the teaching of the teacher? Can you feel the heaviness of this? Can you feel the burden of this? The teacher says, yes, you may enjoy pleasures in this world. Sure. In fact, if you're able to enjoy pleasures, go for it. Because that is all there is. That's your lot. And even the pleasures themselves are fleeting and will one day pass because, again, we've got death at the end, making a mockery of it all. We can pretend that this is not the case. We can distract ourselves with many things in this world. But what Ecclesiastes does for us is it strips away the pretense and it shows life under the sun in stark reality. It's confusing. It's hard to understand. It's hard to define. It feels like we're just stumbling our way through life blindfolded, unsure of a direction, if indeed there is one. It is a brutally honest assessment of life under the sun, stripping away all the glamour, all the appeal that distracts us and exposes life for what it is, meaningless. Meaningless. Do you feel the weight of that? Is this true? Is this all there is? Meaninglessness. Is it a case of eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die? Well, brothers and sisters, thankfully, mercifully, it is not. See, I believe what Ecclesiastes is trying to tell us is that when we disregard faith, when you discount the existence of a deity in life after death, then if you're honest with yourself, you have to come to this nihilistic conclusion that life is utterly meaningless. But when you add in faith, when you add in a correct understanding of the creator God, well, let's get the teacher aside for a moment and let's get the author back in the scene, okay? We need some hope here. <laughs> let's get the author back in here, okay? Come back to me, chapter 12, we're going to look at verse 9 to 14 again, okay? Now see, the author warns us that there are many, many books that can be written on finding meaning and purpose in life. Go to Waterstones, look at the bookshelves, you'll see that's true. You can spend hours and hours upon this subject, studying it again and again and again, and merely just wear yourself out. But here is what you really need to understand, the author tells us. Come with me to verse 13. Here is what we need to know. Here is the hope, here is the grace, here is the mercy that we find in a broken world. He says this, now... All has been heard. 
Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. You see, what the authors tell us, rather than look around you at the wife under the sun, look up at the one who is above the sun. Look up at the creator God who is above the heavens. If you want to find meaning and purpose in this life, experienced in a broken world where death stands as a mockery, if you want to begin to understand what life is all about, then look up. Fear God and keep his commandments. What does that mean? Well, first of all, first thing we have to understand about fearing God and keeping his commandments is that they're not two separate things, okay? This is one thing, one application, two sides of the same corn. You fear God, keep his commandments. Okay, you cannot keep God's commandments unless you fear God, and you're certainly not fearing God if you're not keeping his commandments. Okay, can we see that? It's two sides of the one coin here. But what does this actually mean to fear God and keep his commandments? Well, on the one hand, it does mean fear, I think. The Bible tells us that it's a fearsome thing to fall in the hands of the awesome God. I mean, the Bible does describe God as an all-consuming fire. And that's certainly the view of the teacher throughout Ecclesiastes. He sees God as someone to be feared in a terrifying sort of way. But I don't think that is all there is. Because if that is all there was, then, well, there is no hope. But thankfully, it is not. See, I think what the author is telling us here is that fearing God does not mean having some dreadful anxiety towards him, as though we're frightened of him and the danger that he poses to us. It's not like a prisoner in a torture chamber fears a torturer. It's not this dreadful anxiety. Fearing God is more like the fear that a child has for his father. A child who has tremendous respect and love for his father who dearly wants to please him. He has a fear or an anxiety of offending the one he loves, not because he's afraid of the punishments, but rather because he's afraid of displeasing the one of whom he loves. You see, to fear God is to have this sense of awe, sense of respect, of reverence towards him, towards the majesty of God. It is to stand in awe of his majesty, his power, his wisdom, his justice, his mercy, and to bow down before him in humility and reverence. To fear God is to see him in all his glory and to respond to him appropriately in humility and reverence and adoration. You see, to fear God, we need to have a correct understanding of who God is. And when you have that correct understanding of who God is, then you realize that there is nothing more important in life than knowing God. You realize that it's knowing who God is means that we can trust in his promises regardless of the life that we have and then suddenly meaning starts to come back into things again. Suddenly we see hope. Suddenly we see a glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel coming. Keep with me and we'll keep exploring that together. See, because fearing God is this attitude and this attitude then impacts our actions when we come to keep God's commandments, okay? So the attitude of fearing God results in the action of keeping his commandments. That's the other side of the coin. That is how you know if you fear God, are you keeping his commandments? 
But what are his commandments? Well, Jesus summarized them for us in two commandments in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments, okay? So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. So fearing God has come before him in humble adoration, and it's loving him with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and loving each other. That is what the author of Ecclesiastes calls us to do. And he gives us two motivations to do so. Come with me to the end of verse 13. So fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. In the Hebrew text, the word duty is not there. So this verse literally says, for this is all of man. For this is the whole of mankind. In other words, this commandment to fear God, keep his commandments, applies to every single person on this earth. The whole of mankind. It is our very essence to fear him and to keep his commandments. That is the entire purpose of our existence. Can we begin to see how experience and reason is not enough if we want to make sense of this world? Can we see how failing to look up to the creator God can leave us in a pit of despair surrounded by what we think is meaninglessness? If our entire purpose in life, if our entire being is to fear God and keep his commandments, no wonder that if you take God out of the picture, you're left in meaningless despair. But add in God, and suddenly life starts to make sense. Suddenly we start to find meaning in life, a purpose in our existence. And if that was not enough to motivate us, motivate us to fear God and keep his commandments, we have a second um, motivation in verse 14. Let's read that together. Verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. We are to fear God and keep his commandments because one day God is going to judge every deed. See, throughout Ecclesiastes, the teacher has explored every possible aspect of life under the sun. Money, work, marriage, suffering, time, death, and this conclusion, as we saw, is meaningless. A vanity, a chasing after the wind because we die. So take as much pleasure from this life as you can because that's your lot. Eat, drink, be merry for tomorrow we die kind of attitude. But throughout Ecclesiastes, and especially in verse 14, we are reminded that there's a coming judgment. That one day God will bring every deed into judgment. That should both terrify and comfort. Imagine that every deed of your life is going to be brought under the microscope of God's judgment, whether it was hidden or not. Every click of the mouse, every fiddling of the taxis, every ill thought you had to someone else, every word you spoke behind someone's back, is going to be brought into judgment. That should terrify. That it does not matter if no one saw you do it, God did. And he would judge that deed, whether good or evil. This reality should terrify those of us who do not fear God and keep his commandments. In fact, Revelation says this, that the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, 
and everyone else, slave free, hid in caves among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For great is the day of their wrath has come and who can withstand it? It's talking about God's judgment. Who can withstand it? Well, the truth is, the only people who can stand God's judgment are those who fear God and keep his commandments. But here we come to another worrying fact. None of us can do that. None of us by ourselves can fear God and keep his commandments. But here we come to the glorious hope of the gospel. You see, when we see fear God in the Old Testament, it is really a call to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when the author calls us to fear God, he is urging us to look beyond the grave, or better yet, look to the one who has risen from the grave. See, when we turn to the pages of the New Testament, we see that God's Son, Jesus Christ, is the one who rescues us from the meaninglessness of life under the sun and enables us to fear God and to keep his commandments. And Jesus did that. Jesus redeemed us from the meanness of life and empowered us to fear God by subjecting himself to the meaningless of life. You see, at Christmas time, we just celebrated the birth of Jesus. The word who became flesh, God's son come into the world to dwell among us. That Jesus experienced the meaninglessness of this life under the sun when he took on himself our nature and when he became sin for us on our behalf. You see, Christ redeemed us from that curse of Genesis 3 by becoming a curse for us. And he did so by dying on a cross. See, as I said, the punishment of sin is death and we all deserve death because we've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. God's word teaches us that. But Jesus Christ came into the world and took upon that sin upon himself on that cross. And as he hung on this cross, his own father deserted him. And he experienced the full wrath of God's judgment so that we might be spared from its terrifying horror. So that we can withstand this final judgment spoken of in verse 14. And not only that, but Christ conquered the great enemy of Ecclesiastes, death itself. See, Christ rose back to life three days later, demonstrating in his resurrection that for all believers, death is not the end. Death does not rob us of meaning in life, but instead it is the entrance into the presence of the holy and awesome and powerful, wonderful God who we can now call our Father. See, for those of us who fear God and keep his commandments, his full wrath was poured out on his son on the cross. And as Christ took on our sin to die in our place, he bore the full terrifying wrath of God for us so that we can now fear God rightly. Not with a dreadful anxiety, but the way a child does to his father. And the holy God, who sees everything, when he looks at us, he doesn't see our sin or our every deed. Rather, he sees Christ's righteousness in us. 
he sees the purity of Christ in us. That we are not blemished with sin. We have been purified by the blood of Christ. He sees Christ's perfect righteousness in us. And it's because of this finished work of Christ that we can look forward in hope to the final judgment. And it's because of the finished work of Christ that we can live our lives now, not in despair and futility, but we can live now in a comforting truth of God's judgment because in the broken, fallen world in which we live that is ravaged by the effects of sin, the Genesis 3 curse of our rebellion against God, we can look forward to God's judgment with a comforting truth because when life feels hard and meaningless, when we undergo pain and suffering, when evil feels like it's winning, when we face injustice that exists in our world, when those that are good, the innocent seem to suffer while the oppressed seem to gain in power and seem to prosper. Here is the comforting reality of those who fear God and keep his commandments. There is coming a time when God will put things right. There is coming a time when those who do evil will receive their punishment and those who are God and those who fear him will receive their eternal rewards. Judgment puts everything right. Wicked get the comeuppance. Godly people get the reward. And meaning is brought back into things. And the resolution of this is not found in the here and now. We can't find it under the sun. But it's found when our just God puts everything right according to his judgments. So fear God and keep his commandments. This means we can live our lives in the here and now amidst all the pain, the suffering, the injustice, the futility in light of what is to come. We can look beyond the grave to God's final judgments. This final judgment means that we can work hard and enjoy the fleeting pleasures of life, knowing that all meaning is to be found not in the things in here now, but rather in what is above the sun, what is in our relationship with God. That is what's meant by the words here, fear God and keep his commandments. It's pointing us towards our relationship with our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, whose death ends death. means that we can look beyond the grave and hope in what is to come. And it means we can labor faithfully for our Lord, knowing that one day he will come and judge what we've done. He sees and will reward us, even though we may receive no recognition now. And one day we can look forward to the day when he will look at us and he will say these words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Then it will all be worth it. And we spend eternity with him. There's no more sin, no more death no more futility, no more meaningless, no more chasing after the winds, but reality with him. That is the hope of the gospel. That is why we can fear God and keep his commandments in light of what is to come. So how should we respond to this? How should we respond if we are feeling a bit like life is futile? We're struggling to make sense of it all. We'll fear God. Keep his commandments. How do we do that? We'll get to know God better. There are some great books for you to read to get to know who God is better. This one called um, by J.F. Packer, Knowing God. Highly recommend it if you want to study more about God and find out more about who he is. 
It's quite a big book, I've got to admit, so if that's too big for you, go to Concise Theology, another book by J.I. Packer. This breaks down different doctrines about who God is, uh, about theology, into one or two pages. So there's a few pages here you can read like one a day. It's very, very small, but it's very concise, it's very, very good, and it will uh, benefit your faith and your knowledge of who God is. Better yet, the Bible. Go to God's word itself. In God's word, he has revealed himself to us. We can know more about God by reading his Bible, by reading his word. It's a new year. It's a great time to start a new Bible reading plan. Bible in a year, Bible in three years, Bible in two years. It doesn't matter how long it takes you. Read God's word. Um, I've got an article that's got some great Bible reading plans in it. I'll post them on Facebook later on today. You can check them out if you need to find a Bible reading plan. If you don't have Facebook, get in touch with the office. I'll happily uh, send it to you um, by other means. Um, maybe you're here and you would not call yourself a follower of Jesus and you don't fear God because you don't know much about him. Well, we are going to start a Glad You Ask course started from next week, okay? This is an opportunity for you to come with your questions, to ask these questions, to learn more about who God is. There's more details of that in the bulletin. Can I encourage you to think about sign up for that, come into that? If that's too much for you, then maybe ask the person who brought you here today what they believe who God is and why they fear God, keep his commandments. What is the hope that they have in the gospel in Jesus Christ? You see, with all wisdom literature in the Bible, we are left with a choice. Are you going to keep chasing after the wind of meaningless, trying to find meaning under the sun? Or are you going to fear God and keep his commandments? Are you going to come before God in humility, in awe, and in reverence and accept the marvelous grace that's freely available in Jesus Christ? Brothers and sisters, do not leave here feeling futile. Do not leave here feeling life is meaningless. It is not because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because of his death upon the cross, we can look beyond the grave with hope, a certain, sure hope of what is to come that God will one day make everything right again and we can spend an eternity with him. That is open the gospel. That is what we hold on to. Let's pray.